0: This is the Friday, October 28, 2022 version of the market analysis segment from Market to Market. Widespread rain paused harvest briefly as commodities were held in a tight trading range. The nearby wheat contract, well, it lost 22 cents, while the December corn contract shed 4 cents. Meal and decent export sales kept some lift in the soy complex. The January soybean contract dropped 4 cents. December meal added seven fifty per tonne. December cotton, well, that shrank 702 per 100 weight or 9 percent over in the dairy parlor. November class three milk futures declined by 73 cents. The livestock market was mixed as December cattle added 57 cents. January feeders were even and the December lean hog contract dropped by 303. Now, in the currency markets, the U.S. dollar index shed 128 ticks. December crude oil gained 332 per barrel. Comex Gold decreased 12.20 per ounce in the Goldman Sachs Commodity Index, added almost 11 points to finish at 6.37 even. Joining us now to provide some insight is Ted Seifert. Ted, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me, Paul. The markets, wheat, corn, soybeans, I won't say dull, they're limited. Why is wheat struggling to break out of
1: any range? Uh, you know, wheat is actually kind of breaking out to the downside. At least we've broken some very key technical support levels in the form of the shallow uptrend that we had been in, uh, in the form of uh, moving averages that we had below us. Um, and it's really kind of disappointing that wheat was doing that this week considering that we had some positive news to throw at wheat in the form of the dollar being sharply off its highs, good export sales, um, more concern about you know whether the grain corridor is going to stay open or not. Um and even with all of that, wheat still came under pressure. You know, we're we're past really, you know, we're past harvest pressure. There's a lot of reasons why you could say, hey, wheat could have had a really good week and it didn't. So that makes you really wonder where wheat goes from here. Uh I think you have to be on the defensive. You have to be a little bit worried about more downside potential for the wheat at this point. Uh but wheat is a very global market. It is very sensitive to anything that we have going on from a headline perspective, and it's very sensitive to the dollar. So, you know, some, I, the, the look on the chart that we were left with at the end of the day on Friday isn't good. But something fundamentally unexpected could happen and change that in a hurry. So, but
0: you've already said that the, 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 lots of things have been yep. thrown at this market and, and not a reaction. So when you say a range down, what's
1: your range down? Uh, well, you know, I mean, the idea is that are we going to look for those June-July lows? Uh, and I think... Pretty clearly, the chart is suggesting that we will. Now, whether we'll see follow-through below that or not, that remains to be seen. Um, I would say that the global wheat picture is still fairly friendly. I mean, look at the dryness in Argentina. Look at the dryness in Australia. We had issues with our last wheat crop. Um, Yeah, wheat is at a rather elevated price. But then again, look at all commodities. Mm -hmm. They really are. You know, corn and soybeans, you know, we're near, uh, well, we're uh, historically on the higher end. Uh, So maybe wheat is more of a canary in the coal mine, like it was in 2008. Maybe it's suggesting that a lot of the additional premium that you have above and beyond what the actual fundamentals of these markets are, i.e. inflationary premium, maybe that's starting to come out a little bit more aggressively.
0: What's the biggest factor in the corn market this week? Is it news out of Mexico? Is it harvest pressure? Basis challenges?
1: Yeah, you know, so corn should be getting to the point where harvest pressure should start to fade a little bit because we're past that 60% mark now at this point. Um, The Mexico news is very interesting because it's not realistic. And you would think that, you know, when you hear Thursday and Friday, Mexico saying that, okay, all of the corn coming into Mexico going forward or starting next year has to be non gmo so roughly 650 to 750 million bushels, uh, you say, wow, that's going to be a problem. Because real, realistically, we, that's about how much, on the high end, that's about how much non-GMO corn we grow in the United States as is. And that corn's already spoken for. So if we're going to convert 700 million bushels of, of GMO corn to non-GMO corn in order to continue to do business with Mexico, who's our, what, number two buyer of U.S. corn anyways, well, then the market's going to have to buy that. And right now you've got non-GMO corn trading like $2 over GMO corn. Uh, But to buy it, maybe that $2 has to go to $4. So does Mexico want to pay an extra $4 billion on uh, the corn that they're buying? Um, And are we going to more than double our our non-GMO production? Uh, It just doesn't seem feasible or realistic. Uh, So I think, you know, when people that know what they're talking about hear that, they say, yeah, that's not really realistic. And so we kind of ignore it. I don't really feel like the market really traded that Thursday night and Friday. We were down a little bit, but it's not like the market completely flushed out. Uh, I'm a little bit surprised that the funds, who may or may not know these things, uh, that they didn't kind of run for the doors. But the fact that they didn't kind of says to me that the market's not really trusting that info maybe it needs to show up in mainstream press we need to hear more about it i think we need more clarification from mexico is exactly how they're doing it because what they said is they want to uh basically contract individual farmers to do it that way well man that would be that's a huge amount of production that they're going to have to do that with and i i can't imagine they would do that in any short period of time I need to move to beans. Uh,
0: it looked like this week, towards the end of the week, the bull spreads were appearing. You had some exports meeting expectations. Harvest more in the rear view, past that, as you said, 60% threshold. So 90. do we need exports from someone else
1: besides China? Hey, we saw exports to Spain uh, on the Daily Flash uh, on, on uh, Friday morning. Almost 200,000 uh, 200, metric tons. That's a pretty nice number for Spain. I mean, okay, good deal. Exports have been better in the recent weeks. You know, We have gotten past September. September was a a problem because of what Argentina was doing with offering their currency advantage to their farmers and their exporters. Our exports during the month of September were really down. But in October, we've really picked that ball up, and we've had some pretty good weeks Uh, two weeks ago, really fantastic. This week, not quite as good, but still probably more normal for what we would expect this time of year. So those soybean exports are are there. Uh, The question is, how long will that continue? Well, that, I think, is going to depend a lot on South American weather.
0: Well, that ties into the question that we wanted to ask. Adam in Wisconsin asked you on Twitter this week, is there any bull case for exports to China out of the U.S. with a big crop in Brazil, currency valuations, river issues, and geopolitical tensions? We didn't talk about the river as much in your previous answer.
1: Yeah, so the river is a more of a problem for corn than it is for soybeans. Uh, soybeans, we have the Pacific Northwest. We do send a, a significant amount of soybeans out of the Pacific Northwest. If you look at the last couple of weeks, it's been almost 50-50 for the beans going out of the Pacific Northwest versus the Gulf. Um, so, yeah, that's an issue. Um, I think the biggest issue for soybean exports is going to be how does Brazil get going, right? We know they're, they're going after a massive, massive crop this year. We have some concerns, specifically of Mato Grosso, how they might be dry. Uh, but if their weather looks good, I would kind of think that global end users might want to pump the brakes on U.S. export mm. sales and wait for that Brazilian crop if they can.
0: Okay, need to get to livestock. And uh, in the, in the live cattle uh, from this week, uh, we had a couple of things that were... Uh, again, it's back to exports, but you saw big changes when it came to cash mm-hmm. versus futures. Right.
1: Yeah. And, and look, the the futures, you know, shrinking into new highs and, you know, we're optimistic about where things go in the future rather than necessarily where they are right now. We're feeling a lot better on uh, domestic demand with the idea that, hey, the stock market's come back pretty well. We're feeling like, Maybe we're not going to have this big recession. GDP, as you were mentioning in the opening, was a positive number, which technically speaking means we're out of a recession because two in a row, two negative numbers in a row put us in a recession, but now having a positive number, that definition no longer applies. So going forward, we think that domestic demand, or at least the market thinks that domestic demand is going to be there. Therefore, Packers' margins are going to be there. Therefore, cash is going to stay up. So the live cattle market is uh, optimistic going forward. I, I'm not doing jumping jacks about the export sales. It's nice to see China on the list. Um, but I don't know. I, you know, We're getting really overbought in the cattle. I would not be surprised to see a correction here at some point. But I don't know if we need to, to say the market's put a top in at this point either. Same
0: story in the feeder market, though?
1: Yeah. You know, feeder's going to be very reliant on what happens with the corn, obviously. And if corn does, in fact, break out to the upside at some point, that's going to have a lot of negative effect on the feeder market, but I'm not so sure that's going to happen. I think corn with the exports or lack of exports that we're seeing there, I think there's a building demand concern for corn. And if corn mm. breaks out to the downside, feeders might really benefit from that.
0: Well, we went from a time where it used to be, yes, the feeders went up when corn was down, yeah. but you could argue if you want us to go back to the beginning of our discussion, since we haven't been in a big range, it probably was a big opportunity to do some feed need covering.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But you can also say, well, if we can't get corn shipped down to the Gulf and we're going to see this big lack of exports, then going forward or further on during during time, we're going to have a whole bunch of extra corn laying around that we can use for Mm -hmm. feed and that prices might be lower.
0: Uh, Lower prices uh, were in the hog
1: market. Sharply higher, though, for cash. Um, but it was the futures that were the problem yesterday. It was the futures that were a problem yesterday. I mean, we were really very overbought in the hogs. I mean, you know, we basically had come straight up after that big break that we saw mid-September into early October. Uh, So we needed to see some technical correction. But there's sort of mounting negativity, negative things happening in the hogs, too. You know, weights are up. um, Cutout values, I mean, look, they're at the lowest levels they've been since February, so that puts pressure on packers' margins. So you wonder if we're going to see this sort of build in supply. Um, you don't have this recessionary trade where people you're expecting people to, to want to go to the cheaper alternative and buy pork instead of beef because they're worried about their 401K and their, their bank accounts. Um, Thank you. And our export sales are, are maybe a bit off of what they had been, about half of what they had been for previous weeks. So maybe we are seeing some demand destruction there.
0: Thank you, Ted. Appreciate it. All right, that's going to do it. We're going to put a pause in this analysis and we will continue with Ted and answer more of your submitted questions at our Market Plus. Find that on our website of markettomarket.org and podcast form also on YouTube. The first quarter of the school session is in the books, but we are still adding to our classroom portion of the program. Each week, new content is added to the commodity markets and other sections of the site that can be found at markettomarket.org slash classroom. Next week, we'll take a look at what's at stake in next month's election Thank you for watching. Have a great week.